Right, I'm Colin, um, one of the leaders here at Gateway. I have the privilege of leading the team. Um, this morning, we are carrying on in our Let the Nations Be Glad series. And as I was thinking about this morning, I felt um, that I want to get on and preach early, not to give myself even longer than usual, um, but because I want us to pray um, and pray for one another and to give God space just to come and fill us afresh with his spirit. Um, we need that. We need that over and over, and so I want to give us space for that. Um, If you'd like to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 11, we are in our series this morning picking up, um, so we started with Nigel preaching from Genesis 1 to 11, and talking about God's purpose in humanity, his purpose, his heart to fill the earth and um, fill it with his glory and his image. And how that went wrong, how man rebelled against God in the fall, and, and that as a result, sin has entered the world, death has entered the world. But that God has set a rescue plan in motion to, to gather a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he made a promise, week two, you remember, to a guy called Abraham. And he said, I'm going I'm to make you the father of many people. I'm going to make you the father of a nation. And God, since right through the Bible, the story of the Bible is a story of God reconciling and redeeming a broken, fallen world that is um, in sin and death and decay to himself through his son, Christ Jesus. And that's a story, and we find ourselves in the flow of that story, even this morning we're part of that story. And I want to, this morning, pick up on, from Genesis 11, not to, not to stay there for a long time, but to remind ourselves of what happened in the Tower of Babel, and then to jump into Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to start by reading from Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So this is the start of culture and civilization. They've discovered this new technology. They used bricks instead of stones, half a mortar, And then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Just contrast that to when God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. And they say, otherwise, we're going to do this. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. I love this bit, just the irony. Just don't miss the irony in this. We'll make a tower to the heavens, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And that's why we have our word, Babel. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. Let's stay together, lest God wants us to separate out. And it was utterly in the face of what God had intended for his creation, his people. Go, multiply, 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 spread out, fill the earth, subdue it. Push out the borders of Eden into the wilderness and bring peace and harmony and culture and life into the wilderness outside of the borders of Eden. 
And instead, the guys and girls got together and said, no, we're not going to do that. In fact, we don't want to do that. We want to rebel again against what we're here for, what we're made for. That was the state in Genesis chapter 11. And then we come to Acts 2. And I'm jumping a whole massive section of the story, I realize. But for the sake of time this morning, we come to Acts 2, which is the undoing of Babel. Which is the undoing of Babel. So where God had confused the languages, in Acts 2, we see that God undoes what he had done in Babel. Listen to this. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they, being the disciples and followers of Jesus, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Verse 10, I'm skipping the nations. Visitors from all over the place. How is it that we hear these, this group of Galileans proclaiming, declaring, shouting out the wonders of God in our own tongue? How is it? How is it that this has happened? What's gone on here? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? How is it? Well, the Bible makes that really clear. Go back to the prophet Joel and he says, In those days I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters, on men and women, on slaves and frees, on slave and free people, that they may know me from the heart, that they may delight in me, that they may have a relationship with me from within their innermost being, that they would delight to do the law of God, not because it's written on a stone tablet, but because I've written the law on their heart and from within your inmost being... You want to know me and celebrate and worship and walk with me and and keep my commandments and decrees because my spirit will cause that desire to rise up within you. And so Acts 2 comes, the day of Pentecost, and we see the spirit being poured out. And what had happened at Babel where everybody had been scattered, suddenly God brought together. And he brought, where there was confusion, he brought understanding Through his spirit. So in a moment, what I want us to do, really practically, is I want us to pray for one another. I want us to pray for each other, and we need to do this regularly to go on being filled with the spirit of God. We need to create time often that we are laying hands on one another, whether it's in our midweek groups, whether it's when we get together as friends, whether it's on Sunday mornings or as we gather for prayer gatherings, whatever we're doing, we need to often, regularly be laying hands and praying for the Spirit of God to come and fill us. Not wishful hoping, but expectation that as we pray and wait on God, as we come expectant, that He will come and fill us in power. And so in a moment, I want us to do that. I'm not going to preach this morning on why we need the Holy Spirit, other than I think that most of us in this room, I'm I'm assuming, know that we need the Holy Spirit. What I wonder if we're not so good at doing is actually regularly praying for the 
filling of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do that um, in just a moment. What I want to do for a few moments more, though, is to just focus on one aspect of the outcome of what it means to be recipients of this Holy Spirit and what it looks like for us as God's people, what the impact of that is on us and therefore on the world around us, that where people would say, what does this mean? You guys are marked out, whether whether people outside of Gateway would say this or not, you guys have the Spirit of God, what does it mean? What does this mean? Why, Why has God done this? And I want to, just for a moment, um, unpack the idea that God has called us as his people to be creative beings, that we are made to be creative, that God is a creative God, and we in turn are called to be creators, creators of culture, creators of ideas, creators of influence in the town. So just bear with me for a moment. At the end of Acts 2, we read this. They, again, that's the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together still and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. I just want to pick up on that because sometimes we can have such a rosy picture of what that looks like. And we could just say, oh, it was just easy for them. I I read into that, that when they were gathered together and they sold extra property, extra fields, and and they thought, how can we care for the needs amongst us? I imagine there was huge creativity going on in that process. That people with skills and talents and understanding would come and say, hey, we we, we need to care for those who are poor among us well. And that suddenly creativity began began to come to the fore of that community. I wonder more recently in the church that not in necessarily the church at large, but maybe for us, maybe for the church in the West, that we have, um, we've pushed the idea of the church and creativity down. The church doesn't need to be creative. We just need to tell people the gospel so that they're saved. And things then of creativity and the arts become second rate. It's interesting, even in society that at large, when we hit credit crunch moments and crisis moments around finances and governments are chopping budgets here and there, that one of the first things to go is the arts. As though it's this um, excess kind of baggage for society that it's great to have when you can carry it, but if your hands are full, then you just need to put the arts down. It doesn't really serve that much. It just makes places look pretty, and, and, it, and it entertains a few people. But I, I just want to, right off the bat, I want to say that I think that the church should be at the forefront of creativity. I think that the church should be at the forefront of the arts. I think that the church should be at the forefront of releasing gifts among the body of Christ. And come on, help us to demonstrate. Help us to tell the story of what God is like through creativity, through the arts. And I don't just mean when I say creativity, I don't just mean the arts. I mean the idea of creating. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the home, whether it's in marriage or relationships and family. That we are called to be a creative people. That's, that's who we are. we are. We are called to create something of the kingdom of God in our sphere of influence. But with the arts in particular, I feel at times that, that the church has kind of said, well, we don't really need that now. A few hundred years ago, if you go to any, um, any Church of England church up and down the country, you will see that they are many times adorned with stained glass windows. And objects of beauty, paintings. 
And I think that's a great thing. I think that's a great thing. That they, they tell a story through creativity. That they point to, our God isn't just a series of facts that we come to know, but he's a God who loves beauty and creativity. He loves to tell a story, whether it's through words and, and logic, or whether it's through paintings and stained glass windows. That doesn't mean every church has to have a stained glass window in it to be a church, but that there is something of a desire to tell the stories of God, to tell the story of God reconciling the world to himself. In fact, creative energy, if you like, I think the purpose of it is to help make the world a better place. Now, don't hear into that. Don't read into that. Just this vanilla, let's try and make the world a better place. The beauty pageant. I just want world peace. I think God has mandated us as men and women made in his image to go forth and multiply and to bring culture and life. Why do, why do I think that? Because the Bible tells us his story that when God made us, he, he took this, he made earth and the universe, but then he took this empty, formless void and he, over a series of days, he formed it and filled it, ready for us as the pinnacle of his creation to inhabit And then he says to to us, he says, I want you to go and bring form and filling to it. I want you to go and bring shape and substance. I want you to go and bring life to this place. So much so that right through the Bible, we get to Revelation, the end of the story, and we see that God God has created through us a city. A city full of culture. You can read about this in Revelation 20. A city um, that is a place teeming with life and cultures. And that's the story of the Bible, that God wasn't expecting us always to dwell in a garden, but that we are to create culture and to bring life to where we live. And this is what God is calling us to, I believe, as his church. And I think that sometimes these ideas go in and out of fashion with the church because there is a huge cost to this. There's a huge cost to creativity. But this is what I believe God is calling us to. Andy Crouch, who wrote um, a great book, um, Culture Making, 10 years ago, he said this, the beginning of culture and the beginning of humanity are one and the same because culture is what we were made to do. There is no withdrawing from culture. And so often the church can want to withdraw from the world, world around us. We can want to hide away and say, but it's not good. And that's why God says, that's why I've sent you. To go and bring goodness to it. Culture is inescapable. And that is a good thing. And he goes on to, to say this. I wonder what we Christians are known for in the world outside of our churches. Are we known as critics, consumers, copiers, condemners of culture? And he says, I'm afraid so. Why aren't we known as cultivators? People who tend and nourish what is best in human culture. Who do the hard and painstaking work to preserve the best of what people before us have done. Why aren't we known as creators? People who dare to think and do something that has never been thought or done before. Something that makes the world a more welcoming and thrilling and beautiful place. I love that. I think it's uh, it's a lift our heads gaze on who we are as men and women made in God's image. We um, recently, Phoebe... um, asked a question, one of those great six-year-old questions, why are we here? Why did God make this? Why did God make the earth? Why did God make the universe? Which, of course, is an um, incredibly fun question to try and answer. 
And the bottom line I could think of is because he wanted to. Why did God want to do it? Because he wanted to for the joy of creating. Our God is a creator God and it's not a means to an end. It is the ends. He created because he wanted to. And therefore we create because our God is a creative God and we are made in the image of our creator. And we see, we see something of God bestowing on us creativity even back in Exodus when, when the temple of God, the dwelling place of God among the Israelites was being built and it was, it's, in one sense it's a picture of the world with God at the center of, of the world in the temple. And the, temple, uh, the tabernacle sorry, was a lavish place, so too was the temple. And it was adorned with life and fruits and, and creativity. It was beautiful, it was holy and it was a fruitful, fruitful place. And when it was being built, the people who were building it were given a spiritual anointing to be creative. To come and bring this this act of creativity to this world of the tabernacle. Exodus 31 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skill, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. God says, I've picked this guy. And maybe Bezalel already had many creative talents. Maybe he was a creative kind of guy in his wiring, and he loved to be creative. And maybe he wasn't like he's a bricklayer and he said, I hate creativity. I just want to lay bricks. And God goes, tough, you're going to be a creative. Maybe God picked somebody who was already wired creatively and said, I'm going to anoint you with the skills that I have given you to go and do this within this world of the tabernacle. So often, I think when we think about God giving gifts, we think God's going to force me to do something I don't enjoy. Do you know, I think when God breathes his spirit upon us and the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church... I think what he often does is he takes who God has made us to be. He often takes the things that we love and enjoy in the natural, and God says, I'm going to redeem that for my kingdom here on earth. And I think that's so important so that there are things that you love doing, and I feel that sometimes we forget God says, now go and create that within the place that I've placed you. That passion that you have, go and use it for the kingdom to display my glory. Bezalel, though, he needed the spirit of God to create that kingdom of God within the tabernacle. We need the spirit of God to go and be creators. There are many creators, many people who love God and are creators, many people who don't love God and are also creators, who are also creating and shaping culture. It's not only people who know God who can produce amazing, fantastic artwork and ideas and film and music and all of those kinds of things, but there is something unique about the people of God When God says to you and I, go and fill the world and use that creativity, whether it's in the home or workplace or whether it's in the arts or just with skills and talents and passions that I have given to you, there's something unique that takes place when the people of God step out in creativity. And it's simply this. We don't create because we have to. God didn't have to create the world. God already existed in a trinity, in perfect love and life and harmony and joy. There is, there's an outflow of God from the Father to Son and Son to Spirit and so on and so forth amongst that relationship that God didn't have to create. 
But he chose who because he wanted to expand his sphere of love. He wanted to expand his, he wanted to display to a greater measure his glory and his love. And so he created an outward creation of the universe with men and women that he wanted to breathe life into and said, I want you to share also in this love and joy and relationship. And so he makes space for us. He makes space for us to flourish as we step into that relationship. And I feel that in the church, one of the things that we need to fight for in these days is to encourage each other into creativity. We need to, we need to propel each other and say, be creative just because God is creative. Not because you have to. Don't be creative in the workplace to try and get more money for yourself. Or to be like the guys at the Tower of Babel saying, let's make a name for ourselves. Don't be creative in the workplace using entrepreneurial ideas to make a name for yourself. Do it because it makes the world a better place for God. And you say, as I step out and use the gifts and talents that God has given me, this is what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven is among us. Let me just, for one moment, just divert. I think that we have such a wrong picture of what heaven is going to be like. Because we think of it as heaven, this floaty place. When in actual fact, the Bible talks about God creating a new heavens and earth where the dwelling place of God is with man for all eternity. And in that place, we are going to bring, it's going to be a living city. It's why, the, it's why John in Revelation is almost struggling to describe what the streets look like. They're crafted, they're beautiful. And, and we need to see heaven as this place where we are at work, where we are at harmony with creation, where we are using creativity and skills and talents for the flourishing of everyone. It's what God has designed us to be. That life works, that it's a flourishing place, that it's a real place where we are really working. And I think for sometimes we think, well, heaven's not really like that. This is a hard work bit, and then we just go and, and just do nothing kind of thing. We're not really sure, so maybe I might paint a picture in heaven. I don't know. God says, no, it's life how it's meant to be. It's going to be full of life and adventure and travel and creativity. Therefore, you don't have to stress about whether you get to travel in this life. You've got all eternity to. To enjoy creation. To enjoy God's creation. But listen to this. I think Elon Musk for us is a great example of what this looks like. So this guy, Elon Musk, you know, Mr. Tesla, he is a creative entrepreneur and I know that some people love him and some people can't stand him but he has a vision of for bettering the world God has given him amazing skills and talents and he has a vision for bettering the world his vision isn't to make motor cars with batteries in them many other car companies are are making cars and now trying to put batteries in them but Elon Musk's vision is totally different he's trying to change the world he's trying to change the world to transition it from dependency on fossil fuels into renewable energy sources that's a huge vision he's trying to make he's trying i'm stopping there for time but there, something interesting happened just recently that elon musk turns up to the caves where the thai boys were trapped and some people are saying this is great and others are saying it's just a publicity stunt but he had created this capsule like you probably heard about it a capsule to put the boys in to safely take them through the tunnels I think that is exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about Christian creativity. Biblical creativity is you see a need that is unmet in the culture, in the world around you. Maybe in your neighbors, maybe in the place that we live. Maybe it is in another nation. And you see the resource that is untapped, maybe a resource that you have already. Maybe a resource that you know is lurking and skills and talents and finance amongst the people of God. 
or maybe the resources of the world that you are able to utilize and harness, and you put these things together, the, the unmet need and the resources and the skills and talents to, to better the world, to bring life and love into it. I think that's what God talks about when he says, go and fill and subdue the earth. Use the things I've given you to serve others, to bless others. And maybe Elon Musk is wanting to change the world for self-promotion and bigger income. Or maybe he genuinely has a love for people and the world. I don't don't know. But what about us? We might not be making billions like Elon Musk, but why do you do what you do day in, day out? Maybe your workplace is, well, it's just what I do. I just want recognition at work. I just want a bit more money for this next holiday. And maybe you do your creating for yourself. But God says, I want you to see what you do, your place of influence as a demonstration of love, that when you're at work, when you're in your family, when you're creating, when you're doing the arts, whatever, that you say, this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God is here. I'm I'm helping create a place where people can flourish. That's the mission of the church. Yes, we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to say that this life with God, that Jesus is the gate to life with God. But life with God isn't just, hey, great, I'm saved, now I go to church. That would be disastrous. You're made for life. You're made for living. You're made for creativity. You're made for eternity. And it looks like something precious. And so therefore, God created out of love. And we create culture. We serve culture. We serve one another out of love. I'm just going to finish with this, and then we're going to pray. You see... We know, however, that there is a cost to creating. Andy Crouch, he writes this, The bigger the change we hope for, the longer we must be willing to invest, work for, and wait for it. Elon Musk, all of his wealth, he is piling back in to reach Mars, to transform the world into dependence on renewable energy sources. He knows the cost of what it costs to try and get somebody to Mars. There's a cost to creativity. And so if you see a need, it's not, hey, can you go and do this? The question is, out of my resource, what's the cost this would take for me to meet this? Am I prepared to get my hands dirty? Am I prepared to put my wallet into this? Am I prepared to stand with others? That they may see God's goodness and joy and love. That I might help usher in the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God isn't this weird spiritual thing that happens on Sunday mornings. That's my point. The kingdom of God is God with his people for all eternity. And we are ushers in of the kingdom here when we understand this is what we're doing in life. So the kingdom of God doesn't happen when I rock up to church. One aspect of it does. But the kingdom of God happens the moment you walk out that door and the decisions you make, the way you think about your neighbors and friends and workplace, about the place that you live. You see, creativity isn't just godly but it is god like it doesn't mean that you and i are god but we are bearing his image as we step out in this and there is a cost to it god knows this full well he made creation and he invested everything of himself into it knowing that it would go wrong pretty much from the start through adam and yet he knew that the cost the investment to rescue that and to redeem it was worth the payout he knew that it was worth it and he knew that one day he would look and say I'm satisfied in this I'm satisfied that the cost ultimately was Christ upon a cross a new creative work of creating a new humanity through death of Christ 
And God looked at it and said, it's worth it. The cross is creative. It creates life out of death. God is a creative God. And so, guys, we need the spirit of God. If we want to, I don't think it's so much that we transform culture. I think it's more that as we model the kingdom, as we live lives and see our creating, whether it's work or family or whatever again, as we live that to the glory of God for his name, for his glory, the kingdom comes through us and culture is transformed as a result. We're not, we're not wanting to do this just so that more people come to Gateway on a Sunday morning, but that more people can see and encounter the love and joy and presence of God. So how does this link with nations? I, I want you to just for a moment remember that we are the far-off distant lands that the Bible talks about. As John was talking last week about Gentiles, unless you're of Jewish um, race here, we are Gentiles who are outside the promises of God. Ultimately within the scope of what God was doing, but outside the promises. And we were those far-off distant lands that the Bible talks about, but God has come near, the gospel has come to us. And God has, in that, he says, I want you to now bring transformation through the kingdom to the place that I have placed you. I want you to love it. I want you to invest yourselves in it. I want you to count the cost of what it means to be a Christ follower in the place that you live. And so can I invite you to stand? I want to pray for us. I want us to pray for one another. We're going to pray, first of all, for the Spirit of God to come and fill us afresh. That's the starting place with this. Like Bezalel, we need the Spirit of God. And then what I want us to do is I want us to pray for one another. And for, I want us to pray for an unleashing of creativity amongst us. And also music and dance. And I want to include these things. And drama and poetry. And artistic endeavor. That the people of God come alive and that permission is granted. You don't need me to say that. But God has created permission for you to go, I'm going to begin to be very creative in my place. I'm going to use those skills and talents and not hide them away, unsure why I have those passions. But I'm going to begin to be creative in my outlook on life. And I want us, I want us Gateway, to fly with this stuff, that if you have an ounce of creativity in you, that you have a permission to go, I'm going to use that. I'm going to be a blessing to others. For some of you, it is that kind of enterprise-type mindset. I want to make the world a better place for other people in, through business and work. And I think we should bless one another. And it will look like different things for different ones of us. But this is what it looks like when the church comes alive. And blesses the place where we are. So let's go for it. We're going to pray. Um, Nigel's going to lead us here out. Thank you, guys.